There was a man crossing a bridge one day, and he noticed another man on the outside of the rail, poised to jump into the river below. As he approached him, he said, it can't be all that bad in your life. He said, are you somebody who believes in Jesus? He said, yes, yes, I am. He said, oh, good, so, so do I. He said, are you perhaps a Protestant? He said, yes, yes, I am. Oh, good, so am I. He said, are you Lutheran or are you Baptist? I'm Baptist. He said, oh, good, he said, so, so am I. He said, are you American Baptist or are you Southern Baptist? Well, I'm Southern Baptist, he said. Well, good, he said, so am I. Are you Reformed Southern Baptist or normal Southern Baptist? I'm, I'm Reformed, he said. Oh, good, said the other man, so am I. Are you Reformed from 1879 or are you Reformed from 1915? Well, I'm Reformed from 1915. Oh, said the man, I'm 1879. Go ahead and jump, you heretic. <laughs> you know, we learned last week so eloquently as Pastor Mark spoke that the word Christian nowadays carries such negative connotation that it's something that if we were to say the world would not sit up and take notice. So how much more so when we have a word like reformation? Is there anyone outside of the church today, even outside the Protestant church, that really understands what this word means and what we celebrate in this day? I'm sure most of the world looks at it just kind of like that joke, that it's all about our separations into minute little denominations and the differences we have. Or maybe they look at it and think, well, isn't it just about raising up the name of Martin Luther? Isn't that whom you follow anyway? We know that there are words that came out of the Reformation, words that we hold on to, that we lift high. There are those three solas, those things alone, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, and justification by faith through grace. But we say words like that, and do we really understand? And more so than that, if we don't understand, how does the world around us understand the things that came out of the Reformation? There was a Christian speaker one day at a convocation, and she asked the audience, can anyone give me a definition of grace? And one little girl raised her hand and came up. She said, okay, honey, what, what is grace? The little girl said, it's unmerited favor from God. Oh, that's a great definition, she said to the little girl. Now, what does that mean? And the little girl said, I don't have a clue. How many of us understand that phrase, justification by faith through grace? You know, I had a prof in the seminary years ago who told us, don't ever use the word justification in a sermon. People will not understand what you are talking about. Preach instead about what justification means, the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, if we look at that word reformation, the word reform, at the heart of that word is a definition that says the following. To restore peace, to bring back, 
to the original condition. That is truly what we celebrate in the Reformation, to restore to us peace, the peace that we have through knowing what the cross of Jesus Christ has done for us, that it has given us freedom, freedom from struggles and hardships, to wonder about our faith, freedom to be at peace with God and to know that we are reconciled, freedom and peace to know that Christ has died for us, we are his, and we will rise again. Here again the words from the gospel that Jesus spoke to his own disciples. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at the crowd and his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Human concerns. They had an agenda. They had a cause for which they were gathered around Jesus. I think we forget that many times. To them, the cause and the agenda was that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to go into Jerusalem now, was going to be the one who will establish again the kingdom of Israel as it was in the old days under David, that the Romans were going to be gone. There would be no occupation. They would no longer be under the boot of that terrible legion and that terrible regime that they would be free once again, the greatest nation on earth. That was their cause. That was their agenda. And when Jesus began to talk about what was going to happen to him, when he used the word, the Son of Man must be killed, when he told them who it was that was going to do this to him, when he said it was the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that was the established church to them at the time. They never would have believed that their own church would do that to their own Messiah. How can that happen? How can those people do this? This isn't the agenda. I'm sure to Peter, Jesus was just being pessimistic. They were riding the tide. Everything was great. Everything was glorious. What more could we want? And so Peter naturally brought Jesus to a private moment to instruct him to let him know really what this cause was about, what the agenda was that they had. Jesus don't talk like that. It's not popular. It's not something that people want to hear. They don't want to hear that you're going to be killed by the church, by our leaders. They want to hear the good stuff. And Jesus then had to rebuke Peter. He took him aside, used those words just as the scripture used the words when Jesus was under temptation in the wilderness from the devil. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have the things of God in mind, but human things. The cause was supposed to be popular. But oh, how Jesus knew what he had to do was not going to be popular. In fact, we used that word a few weeks ago, the scandal of the cross. Jesus knew what was to come. 
And so I think also Luther knew what was to come. His cause was not going to be popular when he nailed those 95 theses on the door of the church at Wittenberg. He wanted to bring the church back to its roots, back to the Word of God, back to what was true, to discuss what freedom meant under that cross, to discuss what Jesus had done for all people all over the world. He saw it in the scriptures. He saw the cross. He saw the freedom that Christ had gained for them. But he saw none of that in application around him. That was the cause. But it wasn't going to be a cause that was popular for him. You know, I like to think, as all of us do, that as Luther began to open the word, it became plain to everybody. But we know that that is not the truth. We know that there were agendas and political ideals behind the other side of the cause that led people to reject and to want to silence Luther and what he was saying. But Luther wasn't always strong and neither was the cause. In fact, his partner in this, Philip Melanchthon, who was really the theologian behind writing the Augsburg Confession, was a different person from what we see Luther. Luther often called himself the bull in the china shop type of idea. Melanchthon was more quiet, more reserved, more thoughtful. And so Melanchthon was deeply affected when he went to present the Augsburg Confession to the emperor and to the church. As he arrived in that city, there were many mockeries going on and they were considered to be just another one of the heretics that had already been taken care of by the church. It began to affect Melanchthon and began to draw back. Luther wasn't allowed there, so he wrote a letter to Melanchthon to encourage him. I want you to hear the words that Luther wrote to his friend. Dear Philip, with all my heart, I hate those cares by which you indicate you are consumed. I think they seem so great to you because our cause is so great. And you begin to doubt that cause. Great though our cause is, its author and champion is also great. Because this cause does not belong to us. Knowing that, do not torment yourself. If our cause is false, let us recant. But if it is true, why would we ever think of making him a liar who has given us such great promises and who commands us to be confident in his word and not ashamed? What can the devil do to us? Kill us? Christ died once for us and for our sins. He will not die again for truth and justice, but he will live and reign. And if he lives and reigns, what reason do we have? to be afraid of the truth. God grant that you may be strong in our cause. Our adversaries seek to discredit us and mock us because they are not sure of their own cause. We will not act as they do. We will not shrink from what we have said. Do not worry, dear Philip. This cause is not in your hands, but in the hands of him who is greater than all and from whose hands no one can pluck us. Cast your care upon the Lord, who raises the dead, comforts the spirit, forgives our sins, and heals the brokenhearted. I commit you to the God of all comfort, who has called and accepted you to confess his glory. The glory of the cause of the Reformation 
was not that we would have a new denomination, was not that we would be able to call ourselves after the man who nailed those theses, Luther. The glory of the cause of the Reformation was to hold high the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross that symbolized and proclaimed to the world that we were indeed sinners, that we were broken, that we could not on our own help ourselves by whatever we had to do. No amount of works, no amount of righteousness on our part would ever gain us the freedom that the cross of Christ gained us by Christ's death. It would take someone to pay the price for us. It would take the shedding of blood in order to cleanse us. This is what we continue to proclaim to the world. That Jesus Christ was the one who went to that cross. Who paid what we could not pay. Who gave us freedom in that gospel. Freedom to know that our security and our salvation lies not in ourselves, in our actions, or in our deeds but lies in the one who gave his life for us. This is what the Reformation is about. It's about proclaiming Christ, that we are not ashamed of what he has done for us, that we are not ashamed that his death had to pay the price for our sin, that we are not ashamed that there is salvation alone in his name. This is grace. This is hope, this is freedom, this is life, and this is what we celebrate today. Not our cause and our agendas, but the one who died on the cross for you and for me. Here we stand. We stand on that cross alone, on what was gained for us. May we ever hold to it for the hope of the world around us, and may we ever proclaim what Jesus has done for you and for me by his death. Amen.